your vo- you did your weird voice and it sounded but i kept it on time but it sounded distorted like it distorted it sounded robotic so it confused me so i I'll thought distort i distort you i'm gonna fucking murder you that's recorded <laughs> yeah well i'm fucked if you get murdered well yeah. no i've got an alibi i'm in fucking texas right now so it's <laughs> 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 true <laughs> all right yeah uh, <laughs> Thank you for listening. God, I need to stop laughing. You blew it! (laughs) Okay, Tommy boy. Oh, my God. It's a silver alert. What the fuck? Oh, it's an elderly person missing. Is that what a silver alert is? Yeah. Yeah, let them die. They had a good life. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's recorded. Shit, Texas is rubbing off on me. Now I feel like a, a celebrity during a uh, bloopers reel. You got to compose yourself so you can go do another take. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Ruin My... Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you hungry? <laughs> Don't you want to get this over with? I am. I'm starving. Leave it all in. Thanks for listening to another episode of Remake Rewind. I'm Mike, as always. With me, I've got my buddy Alex. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm I'm out in uh, the Lone Star State, recording live uh, in Texas. Arkansas. Oh. <laughs> That's the uh, lone sibling state slash father slash uncle slash also sibling. <laughs> Don't alienate our uh, southern our one western. That's Ar- <laughs> nah, Alabama's the south, right? Yeah, it is the South, but you also said Arkansas. Oh, I mean Arkansas. Arkansas is still the South. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, anywho, uh, what we're doing this week is we're celebrating not watching Morbius by covering the 1931 classic Dracula, mm-hmm. and we're also covering the uh, 1992 Bram Stoker's. Uh, Bram Stoker's. <laughs> you say the same name of the second movie. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. There you go. There you go. Um, I haven't actually seen either of these movies before. Oh, no so shit. I was, actually, I was really excited to to watch both of these. Um, I have actually, because of the podcast, I've gone and watched you know a lot of older movies from the 30s and 40s and have found an appreciation. Like when I was in middle school, high school, for whatever reason, I never really liked watching black and white movies. <laughs> um, so this podcast has given me an outlet to, you know, not force myself, but given me a reason to go back and watch some of these old movies and yeah. see where, you know, cinema started. So I was really excited to go back and watch these. And I've also heard very mixed things about the uh, the uh, Coppola version. Um, you know, I know Keanu has a terrible accent in it, but, you know, I knew Gary Oldman put in a, I mean, it's Gary Oldman, so of course he's going to put in an amazing performance. So I was really excited to to go and watch both of these movies. I assume you've watched both before. I have not seen the original Dracula, surprising. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, kids all have an aversion to black and white uh, films or, you know, kids our age or from a certain point on. Um, so I didn't watch it when I was younger. And um, as I got older, it was just, you know, kind of a blind spot. There's not a reason to watch it. And I didn't happen upon it. Um, so that one kind of slipped by. Um, I have seen Bram Stoker's. I actually watched it. um a few years ago and 
I think I probably saw bits of it when I was younger, but I did like a an intentional rewatch um, a few years back and was like blown away by how how good and how much fun it was. Um, so I was really excited to rewatch it for this. Excellent. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, it it goes without saying the the nineteen thirty one version it really shaped the modern interpretation of vampire to this day you look at you know jared leto you look at the twilight movies you know it's because of him that we got the sexy vampires from you know the old folklore they were kind of like lich kind of gross monster monstrous kind of creatures beforehand and this gave us the the aristocratic sophisticated um well-dressed well-mannered kind of socialite vampire so um, it's really interesting to see the start of it, but, um, why don't, why don't you give me a summary of this one, man? Oh man, I wasn't ready to give a summary. I should be. Oh, I've got a fucking fantastic summary for the second one. All right. All right. Ugh. Caught me off guard. I'm like, I feel a little, I'm a little brain foggy now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Dracula is about, uh, <laughs> you gave me the giggles, man. gonna be one of those episodes yeah yeah it is you know dracula's about this this fabulous guy who lives in eastern europe and he decides to take a little vacation to england uh (laughs) buy a house while he's there and as you can expect he falls in love with the first british girl that he sees and uh second second british girl that he sees and tries to pick her up and uh (laughs) hijinks ensue and it doesn't go so well for drac no it doesn't um do people not know the story of dracula you know, honestly, yeah, I would be. I, I think people may have different versions in their mind because you know the the original novel is really just a uh, collection of like diary entries and right. newspaper articles and stuff like that, and it's been retold so many times, and like with different powers and different levels of sexiness and different levels of gore that I think people do have. They they might have some confusion as to like what the actual vampire Dracula stories could be. I feel like it's, um, well, actually, this is a good way to describe both these movies, right? Well, it, it feels like it's hard to, like, uh, to either oversimplify it. It's like, it's Dracula. It's, you know, right. he's doing Dracula shit. Or overcomplicate it um, and try to, like, give every plot thread that is uh, exists in the book, which I think is what the 1992 one does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the first thing with this movie, I... It, it took me a little bit to watch it. So um, we have a shared account that we watch movies on for the podcast. Um, I'm two hours ahead of him and he, he I, I didn't communicate with him. He was watching it. And, and so I had to stay up until like one in the morning to watch it. Totally. Luckily fell it was a short movie. Hour yeah. It's only an hour and 15 minutes. So yeah. totally great. Um, so it, I actually watched it over two different sessions. Cause I totally fell asleep because it was one in the morning. Um, but then I, I rewatched it and uh, the, I think I can't remember which movie we were talking about where we brought up the importance of score. I think it was um, 310 to Yuma. Um, but one one older movie that you and I have talked about, we talked about how, you know, the new version, even if it kept everything the same and just added a score, it would have greatly um, added value to the movie. Yeah. This one was was tricky because, like, because it's such an old movie that's been restored, there's actually scenes that are missing that got removed because of the Hayes Code. Because this came out technically after the Hayes Code started, but before it was enforced. And so in subsequent re- um, re-releases, they actually cut certain scenes, and those scenes have been lost to time. But there's points in this movie where it gets a little grainy, and there's a lot of um, 
noise in the recording where there's a little bit of a staticky sound. Um, so I, I, this one was, um, and I'm not saying this as a knock against, it. I still enjoyed the movie, but I definitely, um, missed having a score and music like the only music in the movie was the very beginning and the yeah. song was called like the mummy or something like that <laughs> which on the opening credits which i thought was kind of funny the the grainy noise thing it's just like static like through the whole movie it's just shh, it's like white noise yeah. and it was like it's distracting but it was also maddening because it feels like um such an easy thing to remove like you do it for our podcast every episode yeah you know what I mean? do. it's possible um so that was a little distracting, a little bit of a bummer that they couldn't uh, get rid of that for the uh, the the version that we watched on Voodoo. But the uh, video, the audio or, um, visual quality was fantastic. Fantastic for something. You know, there's a few things where obviously over the course of almost 100 years, you know, 90 years that they've had to cut clips. You know, that's yeah. what happens when you have to maintain a movie on film over, you know, almost a century, you know. As you do different versions, you end up having to cut frames because they get scratched. So there are a few things where it kind of jumps a few frames every once in a while. But on the whole, yeah, the video quality and the um, the transfer was really good. So. Yeah, there's a bunch of shots of um, Dracula doing his, like, glamming face or whatever. And that's a, yeah. that's a true blood uh, phrase, right? Um, but, you know, his hypnotizing face where it's just, like, on Bela Lugosi and he's kind of, he's doing one of these. Mike can see me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's moving his eyebrows around and just having a really intense stare. Yeah, yeah. And um, but you know, it's a it's a close up of of Vel Lugosi's face, and all those shots look fantastic. I took a picture of one to post on my Instagram, and I was like, "Fuck, man, these look good. This is cool." What I found interesting, and I didn't realize it, was um, he actually only played Dracula twice in, in this, and then he also played it that he re- did the role very very briefly. And um, I think it was Frankenstein meets Abbott and Costello. Um, now, granted, he has played a bunch of different vampires that were basically Dracula, but they couldn't say Dracula for rights. Right. But I was actually really surprised that, you know, because he is like he kind of owns the role yeah. still to this day. He's kind of considered the definitive version of Dracula. Yeah. And to find out, you know, he only did the one the one movie. So I thought that was actually really interesting. Yeah, to really find cool. out that it was only one one time as the titular character. I will say, having grown up on Dracula Dead and Loving It and um, seeing that movie Wilson. so many fucking times, there are a lot of and, and that movie is such a good or such a a faithful, <laughs> a faithful uh, retelling fairy. of this. Yeah, I mean, it you know they're doing silly stuff, but like is that Mel Brooks? Yeah, it is Mel Brooks. Oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's a parody. They're being silly, but. It, it, it like circles back to um, just kind of being um, recreations of scenes from this movie. <laughs> As you were talking about it, the <laughs> scene that just kept t- popping into my head was um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's from Wings, and he's the um, shit. I guess he's supposed to be Harker, um, but he when he's killing Lucy and he just keeps hammering and the blood just keeps spraying and he just keeps doing it over yeah. and over again. Yeah. Um, that's the scene that always pops into my head when talking about that movie. Um, so one of the things I guess I can do a very, very brief real summary of the movie. Essentially, Dracula is um, deciding to go to London. So he has Renfield come to his house and figure out the paperwork so he can buy some land in London. He comes to London. He falls in love with Mina or infatuated with her um, after killing her best friend, Lucy, and basically Harker, Dr. Seward, and... Um, and then they eventually they bring in the ringer, Dr. Van Helsing, to 
take take out Dracula um, using all of his his knowledge. And what I found really interesting about this movie um, in comparison to, and we'll get into the new one, was um, I always thought that Renfield was the, you know, kind of the the lead at the beginning of the movie and then it goes to other people. The newer movie, you know, it's Harker kind of takes the place of what Renfield does in this movie. And then Renfield has dual role. Like he's the Renfield of this movie and he, he plays the same part that he does in the newer movie as well. But plus he's like the protagonist at the beginning of the movie very, very briefly. So I thought that was interesting. And I guess that's actually more accurate to the book is the newer version. So in my head, um, cause I also am very familiar <laughs> with Dracula dead and loving it. Um, where you start with Peter Nichols going to Transylvania and meeting Dracula and he's Renfield. So for me, I always, I was actually um, surprised with the newer one, but so I thought this version was like the way that it's supposed to be. And I thought this was the more accurate version, man, was I wrong? Um, Yeah. I had the, um, the same thing. I had the dead and loving it version uh, order of events in my head. Um, So the new one threw me for a little bit of a loop, even though that is the more book accurate. Um, what what I really liked about this version was the um, the amount of FaceTime. Like, there's not a ton, but Van Helsing has, you know, some FaceTime with Dracula, and Dracula actually kind of fears Van Helsing. Like, there's a point where Dracula's talking, he's like, oh, Dr. Van Helsing, even in, like, the backwood countries of Transylvania where we're not as learned in science, we've heard of you. And then, you know, he tries to flatter Van Helsing, and then later on in the movie they have a scene where they're like, one-on-one in the room they're just kind of talking and Dracula tries to use his like hypnosis on Van Helsing and Van Helsing just stares him down and Dracula's like oh fuck my powers don't really work on this guy and I thought that was really interesting and that's not necessarily something that I've seen in other versions or recall so I actually really liked that and I liked how Van Helsing really was an expert like he's talking about all the different powers and it's you know he's a man of science but he's talking about it from a supernatural standpoint where he accepts both and I feel like and we'll get into the newer one, but I feel like the newer one was still very much of like a scientific approach to vampirism, where I kind of liked that this was a version that accepted supernatural um, weirdness. Oh, I think the new version accept, accepts supernatural weirdness, but I see where you're coming from. Um, yeah, I think both of these movies do a good job of making Dracula seem a lot more vulnerable than he slash other vampires have in um, in other contemporary media. I think a lot of the times vampires are like super strong and super fast and a normal human has no chance against them and blah, blah, blah. And I think that, uh, like you said, Van Helsing um, has the willpower to resist Dracula's uh, hypnosis or glamming or flattery or whatever. And, um, you know, I think in both of these movies, uh, a normal person can either resist his, uh, his charms or can like catch him during the day, uh, or whatever. It's a lot easier to, um, to deal with a vampire attack. Yeah. And he's you know, the king of vampires and it's a lot more interesting than yeah, them just being I, I superhumans. Yeah. Cause eventually gets like the Van Helsing movie with Hugh Jackman, where he's just like a monster hunter, you know, drastically different. You get a va- Dracula that's can only be defeated in the very specific, specific circumstances and he can walk on walls and he's basically invulnerable. And that's kind of how vampires are nowadays is they're, they're basically nigh invulnerable unless you find that's their boring. specific weakness. Yeah. yeah like, I agree. Like so Superman. I actually really, 
liked that. And I, I also liked, you know, the aristocratic nature of this guy. And he, he is charming. And that's what kind of created the quote unquote modern vampire. Um, you know, Nosferatu is really the first film vampire and, you know, popularized vampires. But this version of Dracula is what kind of created the modern vampire of not being gross and grotesque and being somebody that you can see women falling for and getting to a point where he can get close and bite them in the neck and infect them and whatnot. So I, I really bought that all the women, you know, even though he's an older guy and he's not necessarily the most handsome man, but I understood, I, I saw the charm in him and I understood why the women in the both versions were enamored by him and he could get close to him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they really glossed over Lucy's death in the. Oh the, yeah. I, I totally forgot about it for a second. Like I, like I mentioned, I fell asleep because I was watching it late. And then when I was going through it, um, it just seemed like, oh yeah, they just killed her and that was it. <laughs> like there was no real anything to it, where it's a much bigger deal than the other one. Um, yeah. There's, I mean, the, the 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 focus on this one was really a lot more on Dracula and all of his powers. Like they go out of their way to explain all the powers. Um, and I, and I got to give, you know, credit to it, like from a special effects standpoint from 1931, like this is really impressive. And there's a lot of, um, is it, what is it called? Like a Texas switch when like the camera pans and then it comes back uh, or it's a cowboy switch mm-hmm. or something like that. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's a there's a lot of stuff like that when like, you know, he's a bat and then the camera will pan out to the window so you can see the moon or something that it pans back. and He's just there because obviously they can't show him transform from right. a bat into a human. But it was very effective for that time period. The bats were so funny, though. Like, it's clearly like a rubber bat hanging from a string that somebody's just, <laughs> just like... shaking up and down <laughs> <laughs> for a very long time at certain points. There were points where there's just a bat hanging out in a doorway uh, for, you know, conservatively 20 seconds, just shaking up and down. Yeah. Not even really try to hide or it. anything. No. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's, there, there's, you know, what's also interesting about this is, you know, it's 1931. So, you know, they're not as graphic as things. So, you know, whenever he would go to bite somebody's neck, it would like pan away or he would dip the person out of frame and you would just right. kind of see his back. Or when he gets killed at the end of the movie, you know, you see Van Helsing like wind up like he's going to, you know, drive the stake and then it pans over to Harker and Mina. And then you just hear Dracula like, <laughs> yeah, it's like a very abrupt end to the movie. He just like dies off screen. And they're like, well, Dracula died. Dracula had to go back to his home planet. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I thought was really interesting, and I never picked up on this because it's like, because he, um, I'm a, you're, you're the Italian, so I'm going to let you say his name because I'm going to butcher it. Um, Bella Lugosi? Lugosi? Lugosi. Lugosi. Yeah. He, um, he's been a vampire in other things, and I've always seen him like in coffins and whatnot, and you see Dracula done loving in the coffin. Um, I never knew that part of the lore was that it's not just being in the coffin during the day. Like, I always thought it was sleeping in the day. Um, but no, he has to actually sleep on Transylvanian soil, or he can die and lose his powers. I had no idea that was... Yeah, and I think that's way cooler than um, what's become like uh, the the mainstream interpretation, which is just sleeping in a coffin during the day. And both of these movies do that, though. Both these movies have Dracula sleeping in dirt. Yeah, I think that was a really cool thing that I like. I kind of think that's a better way to keep it around and the weakness that they could keep in in newer versions of this, which I mean, we just had a Dracula TV series that's set in the modern day from Stephen Moffat, who did, you know the newer Doctor Who seasons and uh, the Sherlock Holmes show. So, you know, I haven't seen it. I heard it wasn't very good. We're going to get another Dracula someday, but 
think yeah, that would I be mean, an interesting thing to bring back. We're not talking about all the other uh, official Dracula movies that um, that happened in between these two movies. Like there was one in uh, I think '58. Um, there was like three or four between the two that we're talking about. And since yeah. then, there's also been Dracula 2000, Dracula Untold. Yeah, <laughs> Dracula like, Untold. The they they make them cool every one. 15 years or so. Yeah, uh, and I'm like I'm sure we're going to be overdue for like a true classical vampire movie like I, I just feel like we're, we're due for one eventually and i would like to see that weakness come back yeah. um there's not really much i had to say about this movie it's either something that you know you've seen before and you like it or you know you appreciate it for what it is i appreciate you know how it you know changed cinema you know by today's standards it is very very hokey but it worked for the time and i see why I think that was version still, was prevalent the ho- the hokiness quote unquote like didn't uh, it distracted me a little bit, but it didn't make it unenjoyable. I still had a good time watching I, it. I absolutely agree. I think this is a movie that, you know, anybody who's into film should watch at least once because yeah. it it was really informative for me to see where things came from and, you know, where some of the tropes came from. And I, I thought that was a really great experience. Um, I think it's a really good it, example of um, how transcendent a good performance is because Bela yeah. Lugosi is um, – I don't want to say taking it seriously. He's he's in the role. He's yeah. he's taking it seriously in that sense. Like yeah, he knows that he's in um, a, a, a vampire movie, but like he's Dracula, and that's why his version of the character is held up for so long. Instead, the, and it yeah. still works. The ca- the scenes that I'm talking about where he's just staring at the camera or like just off camera, but it's just a close up of him for like 15 seconds, still totally works. I love watching it. At no super point effective. Feel goofy. Well, and he, he's also the person who basically invented the Transylvanian accent that we still have to this <laughs> yeah. day that, you know, the Count on Sesame Street has. <laughs> and, you know, in the novel, it just says he speaks very good English with a slight accent. You know, he had to decide what it was going to be because it's not a Romanian accent by any, by any stretch of the imagination. It's, you know, supposed to be, you know, kind of an isolated region in yeah. Romania. So I kind of, you know, he created that. And even that accent is still being used in modern interpretations of the characters or parodies and whatnot. So yeah, yeah I think it's great. And um, I do have to say the one thing that I thought was really funny and cool, like it just works was um, when he's crossing the ocean or whatever he's crossing, you know, how he gets to London, but you just see like that ship is like, it looks like it's just a flat ship like right on the water. Cause the water is just flying over the edge. Like it's nothing. <laughs> you just see like the crew members on the ship just getting beat to shit by the waves, <laughs> but it looked really cool. Like it, like, even though I know it was a giant flat ship, it looked worked for me because I was like, yep, that looks like a storm. And these <laughs> poor actors are getting this shit beat out of them with yeah. water. But I'm like, yeah, no, that looks real. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, re- I, I really the like film. the I really like the set design of the layer as well. I wanted to say that. I did too. Like, I really like the underground layer where it's all decrepit and everything. Because he, he says something along the lines of like, you know, oh, it would take me way too long to... Like he didn't want to do repairs and it would take him way too long to take a newer home and make it comparable to what he's used to because he wanted something old and gross and disgusting and it worked. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, you ready to move on to our next segment before we talk about the, the modern classic? Let's do it. All right, man. What have you been up to, bud? Well, sir, um, I rewatched The Disaster Artist, which I guess is something I do every six months now. <laughs> Still great. Solid movie. Yeah, love that. Um, I 
think I have a, a reason to bring it up later too. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched Jackass Forever for the first time. Me too. That was so good, man. I literally finished it right before we started recording because oh, I yeah. started it this morning and I had like 10 minutes left. So I was like watching it as I was setting up my gear. So I literally so finished fun. it like 30 seconds before I sent the invite for the meeting to you. Yeah, it's so much fun. We, um, Scarlett and I saw uh, Rachel Wolfson um, perform comedy like a month or so ago and she's pretty oh, funny. nice. Yeah. Maybe we can have her on the podcast at some time. Let's do it. Let's try it. Yeah. Rachel. Come on the podcast. Um, rewatch the other guys, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg. I almost watched that last night. I'm really curious what you think upon rewatch because I have some thoughts that I I haven't didn't had like it when I've it came it. out. So I've like haven't I, been rewatching it. I was just so bored last night. It was like a 90 minute movie, and I'm like, if I watch this, it'll end right around 12, 12:30. 12 good time to go to bed. And then I decided to watch something else instead. But maybe I'll watch it for you. I've I've seen it. Uh, you know. At least five five times, probably closer to ten, and I really enjoy it. There's like a lot of um, memorable memorable bits for me. Uh, but this time watching, I was like, man, this really like misogynistic movie. Like I kind of yeah, that was a big thing I didn't like about it at the time. Yeah, for whatever reason, it didn't didn't like register as that um, when I when I saw it initially. But this time around, it was hard to ignore. Um, yeah. And we watched uh, Ty West's X. God, I want to see that. It looks so good. It's really good. Um, yeah, I think he killed it. And Ty West is like uh, one of my favorite horror filmmakers, and he's not been making films for a few years. Um, so this is a really cool return to form for him. I'm out in Texas. I got in, you know, early afternoon on Sunday, so I had some time to kill. Um, so I went and saw Ambulance, Michael Bay's new yeah. film. Yeah. Hated it? it. Really? Fuck. Yeah. It. It seriously could have, like, the plot, they stretched it so much. Like, it could have been a single episode, uh, like, an hour-long procedural. I'm not going to Michael Bay movies for plot. No, 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 no. But, I mean, it's so, like, it literally is, it's a two-and-a-half-hour movie, and two hours of it is literally them just driving around in the ambulance, and it's not even that interesting. And, you know, Bay's signature, like, when two people are talking, the camera's, like, rotating around them, and they also kind of spin around as they're talking. There was a scene that was like a 10-minute dialogue scene where like the camera did not stop spinning around. I almost I got nauseous. And I don't normally get nauseous in movies, but I almost got up to leave because I'm like, if this whole movie is going to be this, I'm out. And every time he would come back and do it again, he would do it just long enough where I'm going to be like, this is awful. I'm going to leave. I stuck out the movie, but there was, I mean, the action wasn't even all that interesting. Like all the coolest stuff was in the trailer. Like the trailer is enough to watch. Well, I'm, um, I'm going to go see it this week. I feel like I have yeah. to see that on the big screen. Yeah, I don't know. I, and the main reason I went to see it was because of um, uh, Yaya, because, you know, the Candyman, yeah. like, he crushed Candyman. He's crushed everything he's been in. So I'm like, well, if he's in it, and I like Jake Gyllenhaal, and Itza Gonzalez is, you know, my my crush. So I was <laughs> like, I, I'm going to give it a shot. And I, I didn't like it. Um, saw everything, everywhere, all at once. One of the easily in my top 10 favorite movies now. Yeah, like, that's awesome. It's insane. Heard nothing but good things. Um, we, I've watched the Mitchells versus the machines on my airplane trip. Yeah. It was fun. It, I don't think it's as good as the internet said it was, but yeah, it I, feels I, like I was, I, I enjoyed it. I but. laughed throughout, but it wasn't perfect. I already mentioned Jackass forever. Uh, we finished raised by wolves. Uh, I also finished 30 rock and, uh, I saw master chief's ass 21 years 
of not seeing his face in video games in episode three um, of Halo. You see him naked. Haven't watched season episode four yet, but that was interesting. That was a bold choice. Yeah, I, I want to watch that show, but I keep on hearing things that make me not want to watch it. Like, I'm torn because, like, not there's anything my wrong biggest with the little issue, ass, but yeah, no, it's it's not like I was torn because, like, the opening was really strong. Like, you just see all these elites dropping down and they're shooting at these people, they're like blowing up. I'm like, oh shit, this is cool. Um, but there was only like five or six people, so they can have the budget blowing up. And then all of a sudden, they show up in a town with 150 people, and the same guns all of a sudden are just shooting sparks when they hit people. So it's like, they're not being consistent with what the weapons can do, and they're. I'm totally cool with them changing the lore. They said from the very beginning that's not going to be the same lore as the game, hmm. but it is. It's dragging. So we'll see. Yeah. I, I, if I were you, I'd wait until it's done, and then just watch it at your leisure. Versus, wait. it's not good enough to wait week by week. Yeah. Oh, and Moon Knight. I've been watching Moon Knight, of course. Oh yeah, I love that. Yeah, I yeah, really enjoyed. That goes Moon without Knight. saying. Um, so I think the. I'm just double checking my number here. Um, Ambulance's budget was $40 million, which is like so low. That's small for him. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, small, I believe small it. Like, for any action movie that comes out these days. Especially yeah. I mean, the guy that did Transformers. Them, most of the movie was just them in the ambulance. So there's not a ton of sets. Like there's basically yeah, but it's like huge action explosions yeah. and shit. Right. So there's like three sets you know, three locations and then most of it's in the van and of course the ambulance. And then of course they're, you know, blowing stuff up, but, um, there's I something mean, else that's got a $40 million budget that just came out recently. I can't remember what it is. I'm happy. I'm that would actually make me really happy to start seeing budget shrink. Cause I mean, you go back to even, you know, right when movies started to cost 200 million fairly regularly, you had district nine that came out at 35 million. It looked better than a lot of the 200 million movies. So, and then you also saw like Deadpool. The first Deadpool movie was only like a $60 million movie. So it's like, you can make good movies on a budget. If you're smart, like you don't have to throw and, and, and we've been talking about it with all the Marvel movies recently, like Shang-Chi had some pretty janky CGI. Now, granted it was filmed during the pandemic and whatnot. So you have to give it a little bit of an asterisk, but when you're spending 220 million on a movie, it should look good. Yeah, and I mean, this is a bigger conversation, but it, um, yeah, create, creates all sorts of other issues when every movie costs two hundred million dollars and it has to make that money back. Yeah. Uh, you ready to talk about about uh, Graham Stroker's Dracula? I can synopsize. Did it Did you say you. Stroker? Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, that's not the right. I did it on purpose. I was thinking if you'd catch it. I caught it. Good. Um, um, yeah, go ahead. All right. So this is a prequel to League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Ooh. You've got... <laughs> I'm already not into this. You've got Neo, Robin Hood, the Rocketeer, and Odin slash Hannibal Lecter all hunting Dracula. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's basically the unabridged version. You have um, Vlad the Impaler. So this one really leans into the idea that this was based off the real guy, Vlad the, the Impaler, who was the prince of the Transylvania region of Romania. Um, he was a, you know, he fought in the, the Ottoman War. He was a hero, but somebody told his wife that he died. So his wife killed himself. So he gets back from fighting this war and he's just like, what the fuck, God? Like, I've been like one of your holy warriors and you do this. So he denounces God, stabs a crucifix statue, blood pours out, and he becomes the Dracula that we know and love. 
and he uh, also needs to go to London and buy a bunch of property. Um, but this version's a little bit different. Uh, you have Winona Ryder playing Mina, and Mina is actually the reincarnated version of his wife, and he's trying to get with her. Um, and in this version, um, John Harker, played by Keanu, is the guy who goes to Transylvania at the beginning of the movie. In this version, he actually gets captured and is kept at the castle because he's using him as like a, an English tutor to teach him about English society. <laughs> and then he leaves him there to be like a plaything for his wives. And then uh, Dracula goes and does his thing, eventually kills enough people to get noticed. And uh, they assemble the crew to go and, and kill him. And that's the movie. Yeah, that's basically what happens. Yeah. So yeah. let's just get this out of the way right up top. Keanu probably miscast in this not fantastic you know why he was cast so i read an interview so coppola didn't learn from his (laughs) just the year prior doing godfather 3 that you know maybe cast good actors but he actually said he want he cast keanu because at that time he had just done you know point break he had been doing the bill and ted movies um he wanted to get teenagers into the theater so he hired him and winona to get teenagers and young people into the, the theaters. Yeah, so that's true. And I think there's a little bit more background to that. Um, his company, American Zotrope, which San Francisco Bay Area natives, what's up, guys, um, was not doing super well at the time. And he needed to uh, make money for his film company so they didn't go under. So that's why he ended up doing yeah. uh, Godfather Part Three, And then this came out, uh, what, two years later or whatever. The next a year, year later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and you get a bunch of, uh, hot, sexy young actors to make sure that kids get in there. You want it to be a four quadrant movie as much as possible. Um, and yeah, Winona was actually supposed to be Sofia Coppola's role in, uh, Godfather three. And that probably would have been better. Yeah. Well, anything would have been better. Um, but he stayed in touch with Winona and she ended up being in this. That's good. Yeah. Um, this movie and the, the Keanu thing, his accent, um, apparently he, went to a dialect coach and he really worked on it. But apparently what Coppola said about it was um, he never really gave direction to Keanu. Apparently Keanu wanted it to be so perfect that it was just a very stiff, stifled performance. There's no nuance to his performance at all. Yeah. He's just miscast. Like I don't think if he gave his best, it still would have stuck out. And he also gave an interview where he talked about um, how tired he was at that time because he'd come off of like shooting three movies back to back or something. Yeah. He was super busy back then. Yeah. So it wasn't as bad as I thought. Like, I've been hearing for 30 years how terrible Keanu was in this movie. Yeah, it's and fine. Honestly, it, it, it's a typical Keanu movie when he does a dramatic role. Like, Keanu, over the last 20 years since that movie, you know, 30 years since the movie had come out, but over the last, you know, 15 years, he's recognized the type of characters he can play convincingly. And he's done a much better job at picking his roles in the last 15 years or so. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think that's fair. I think a lot of actors need to be more self-aware of the range that they have sure. and stick to movies in that range. Um, so I appreciate that he does that now. But honestly, it was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, I don't, you know, he's he's probably the worst part of the movie, but also like he's not terrible. He's not in half the movie, so it's not a big deal. I yeah. will say watching this, I realized that, you know, in Disaster Artists, there's that scene where they, um, they go get pizza and <laughs> Tommy has... Um, what's his name uh greg act out the uh the shakespeare play or whatever like in the middle of the restaurant do you know what see i'm talking about yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah uh the way james franco does reads that uh shakespeare scene is exactly like almost all of uh keanu's um performance in this movie 
I don't think that's fair. Whether but it's I- nobler <laughs> or it's completely understated, like I've offended you. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, so now I we're not going to talk about Keanu for the rest of the no, thing. Keanu, like, no, that, I, th- that's I feel it. like it's not worth talking about. Gary Oldman, I mean, you expect a good performance out of him, no yeah. matter. He's the age. so good, though, man. He's like I unhinged. Feel- so bad for him because he's in prosthetics in literally every scene <laughs> even his young version he's got you know his forehead you know tightened a little bit the wigs and the makeup yeah. and the beard and everything and then of various degrees of being like old and gross and decrepit and then he's got his werewolf version and his bat version <laughs> it's poor guy that all was not the, an easy shoot all the monster suits are so fucking good though even his like weird armor at the beginning was cool it's like it just looked like uh, his armor basically looked like musculature. I, like I love they that skinned armor. somebody. It, so, it makes no sense, but it looked really cool. So the person that they hired to do the costume design, who won an Oscar by the way, is uh, Aiko Ishoka, and uh, Ish- Ishioka, and um, he had never seen any Dracula movies or anything. Like he was not familiar with the character. Hmm. Um, so he comes in and just like does all these uh, costumes that have nothing to do with with our preconceptions of Dracula. I think he fucking killed it. They're so good. I forgot. I didn't mention in the last one, but I forgot. I had no idea that Dracula could also turn into a wolf creature. Yeah. And, you know, they looked all all the costumes, all the, you know, the the makeup, everything looked really good. There's not a ton of like special effects, special effects. There's a few things where like they'll drop severed heads down a chasm and whatnot. (laughs) And that didn't look any worse than things were looked at that time like this movie looks really good i think it's one of the coolest things about this movie and that also excuses a little bit of what you're talking about is that it's blending um tropes like visual filmmaking uh uh techniques and also just costuming ideas and stuff from so many different um time periods you know there's there's uh in camera special effects techniques that um, that were very prominent in like the seventies and also the thirties right next to each other. Um, And I think the costuming is very effective for that same reason. It's just this like pastiche of all these different um, time periods. And I think it makes it fucking cool. And I I know exactly what you're talking about with the heads falling down the, uh, the chasm and you know, that's that's, a thing that was prevalent. Yeah. That was the thing that happened at a certain period of time and didn't bother me. No, I mean, that's that's like the only thing that doesn't really hold up by today's standards is a f- very, very few visual effect shots. Yeah. Um, honestly, the only thing, and this is, you know, I've said it before, I've said it with you on the podcast, I've said it on other episodes, like, um, I think the, I'm going to preface it, The Godfather is an amazing film, um, but I have said in the past that, like, I don't think it's sacrilegious to say, you know, that it could be remade because I Coppola does make a lot of, um, and it's not just him, you know, he's got a script supervisor who should be taking care of this stuff too, but there are quite often a lot of, um, goofs in his movies. Like in this movie, like one of the scenes where, uh, Keanu is with the three vampire wives, like literally then like a three second period, you see him with the shirt on, with the shirt off, with boots on, with boots off, like boom, 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 boom. And I like, I caught it and it took me away. And then like when the, in the scene where he's kind of Dracula's with Winona Ryder and he's, she's falling for him because she's remembering her past lives memories. You actually see modern red panties on. And it's just like, there's all these things that like I just caught. And so I, I, it bums me out because Coppola's supposed to be this masterful people. And I think people 
give him too much. Like there's things like that in the Godfather. There's things where you can see the set, the set shaking. There's things where the mic, the audio is not great. And so it's like Coppola gets a lot of um, slack and I don't think he's ever made a, and there's no such thing as a perfect film. Every film has some, you know, slight goof or something didn't get set properly. But I feel like Coppola actually has quite a bit and nobody ever really calls out his movies for having those issues. Until you. Yep. I'm going to put well, it out there. Well, listen, uh, you and I have disagreed about this in the past and will continue to. And I want to be on record as saying that uh, I don't think that The Godfather should be remade. But uh, well, I'm not saying it should be, <laughs> but I'm saying I don't think it is the worst thing in the world for it to be remade because I don't think it's a perfect movie like everyone says it is. That's but all I'm should... saying. All right. I said it wouldn't be sacrilege to remake it. Oh, I'm not it saying it necessarily should be remade, but I'm saying like so many people are like, it's a perfect movie. It should never be touched. If like somebody you... wanted to do it, that would be a very risky move for their career. But <laughs> I don't think the movie's as perfect as people say it is. That's my point. Okay. That's some kind of point. What else do you like in this movie? It was a lot punnier than, uh, than I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Um, there's some good puns in the beginning. There's some good puns. Um, I, I like the weird shadow stuff that, you know, Gary Oldman's Dracula, you know, will be talking, talking about to somebody. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, sh- the movie. Yeah, he'll shadow. be talking yeah, yeah, to somebody yeah, and he'll be playing very cordial and very nice, but he's obviously very annoyed with the character. And you'll see like his shadow like creep out and like, choke a character and kind of thing. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. That's a big um, uh, I like Dracula. Like that. Jed, that's a big Dracula done loving it parody. It's hard yeah. not to think about um the the shadow Leslie Nielsen's shadow being goofy in that movie, but it's still so effective in this one. Yeah. I, I thought you were gonna I mention really the like shadow that. puppets in the uh the introduction. I liked those too. I I love it. It's great. Yeah. Um that whole like intro uh the opening uh I guess prologue um setting up who Dracula is and how he came to be, how he is uh, a vampire um, and why he denounces uh, religion is so fucking cool and so fucking well done. I agree. I, I thought that was really effective. Um, one of the other things, I really like Tom Waits as Renfield yeah. in this. It's just really gross. And I like that this version was locked up because like in the original version, Renfield is kind of like is able to come and go from his cell whenever he's like, hey, Dr. Seward, you know, yeah. I think Dracula's coming. And it's just like, they're like, go back to your cell. It's almost like Kramer, like get out of here, Kramer, like, <laughs> when they don't want him in Jerry's apartment anymore. Uh, and this version, like he's very unhinged. Everyone thinks he's really unhinged. I also thought, I don't know if, the, I, if this was on purpose or not, but I also thought, Ren, this Renfield kind of looked a lot like um, Van Helsing in the original version, just like a disheveled, oh, yeah. dirty Van Helsing. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I see that. The glasses, too. Yeah, and the hairstyle, everything. Yeah. Um, I thought uh, I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, I really yeah, liked I watching uh, Richard E. Grant and Tom Waits like choose scenery together. Yeah, There's the, they were the first great. scene where the two of them I talked I forgot to, to say Loki was part of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Sorry, you just mentioned Richard E. Grant. That just popped in my head. Um but yeah, go ahead. Um, there's that first scene where they talk to each other and uh, they're just like trying to one up each other with like uh, overacting. But it, it works in the in, in the context. It, it, it absolutely works because one guy's supposed to be crazy, yeah. like absolutely unhinged. And then, you know, you've got the doctor who it's but like Dr. Seward, his- you run a place like that. You got to have a screw loose. There's guys walking out with boxes on their heads. It's basically a big sewer. 
Yeah, the, the guys on their heads are supposed to be like the orderlies. Like, is that for their protection? Like, I don't know. I've never seen I love anything it. like that. I'm okay with it. It's cool. Yeah. But like, it's so fucking I weird. I knew immediately because they're the ones who like, when somebody's acting up, they go and grab him. So I'm like, okay, so those are definitely the orderlies. But yeah, why do they have these big old boxes on their heads? But yeah. whatever. Um, why, does, why does Dracula go to London? Why does he buy Carfax Abbey in the first place? I think it's because he was looking for, for um, Mina. So I think in the book, her like soul calls out to him or something, but I don't feel yeah, like that's in either of the remember. movies. No, it's definitely not in either of the movies. And what's interesting about this one is he's actually buying more than just that property. So mm-hmm. that's the main property that he's going to live in, but he's actually buying a bunch of properties. Yeah, um, I kind of I kind of wish we got a little bit more of an explanation of why he went there. Maybe I missed it, though. Yeah, I think it's just I think that's what it is. And I think it was supposed to be more implied than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lucy stuff is much more prevalent in this one. Oh, uh, so the Lucy he... thing is a good example of what I was talking about with, uh, sorry, I cut you off. No, it's all good. So the Lucy, um, uh, some of the the elements of the Lucy storyline are, uh, what I was talking about with like blending different, um, time periods of filmmaking and stuff. Like he's doing all this Gothic drama and blah, blah, blah. But the Lucy, um, like specifically Lucy having sex with, uh, the werewolf, is yeah the werewolf-esque dracula is very like exploitation it's very like 70s and the orgy scene too with um keanu yeah there's a couple of things like that where it's like that reminded me of like the opening scene of i think it's howling too when there's Mm -hmm. just like a sex scene in a tent at the beginning then the werewolf comes and like attacks like while people are having sex yeah like it's just like it was very gratuitous and whatnot even like when they they the last time that dracula bites lucy um they like come running in and he disappears and you just see like Lucy in her bed with her like tits out of yeah. her gown. And I'm like, this is like kind of gratuitous. And then like Van Helsing comes and he's like trying to like save her. And then uh, Carrie always comes in and he's just like, what are you doing? And Dr. Seward's like, dude, that's, this is like my, my, uh, my mentor. Like he's yeah. an expert on vampires. He's trying to save her. And then he's just like, you give me your blood. We need to do transfusions. And it's just like, I guess you could just take anybody's blood and put it in anybody. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a couple of scientific things in here that I'm not totally sure were were correct. When they when we first meet Van Helsing, he's in the uh, the lecture hall and uh, he's giving some speech. I didn't write it down, but it was like not scientifically accurate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's okay to not be scientifically accurate because you know the history. You know, they didn't know as much. No, but it was then, like but... what he said was nonsense. It was along the lines of like you can put fucking dog blood into a fish and they'll stay alive oh yeah that's not true that's bullshit anthony hopkins yeah that's not (laughs) what he said specifically but it was that ridiculous right um so the thing i think the thing that i didn't like about this movie was um they introduced the three um suitors so you had dr stewart was a suitor for lucy um you had i don't remember any of the names but you had the Carrie Elways, and then you had um, the guy who played the Rocketeer. The te- yeah, uh, Bill something. <laughs> yeah, Billy Campbell. Campbell uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they're all in this movie, and like, they're just kind of introduced, and then they're all just like, we're, we're really good friends, and we're going to help like, take out this vampire. Like, they're all just like immediately like, they're all in the same room at like one of the party scenes and like there's no like animosity between them where they're all just kind of chummy and whatnot, and they're like totally cool with the fact that like, and he's Carrie Always character is actually engaged to Lucy and they're all still kind of like flirting with Lucy. Because they love her so much. 
they all love her so much that they're all kind of cool with just like this, which is not how it would have been. But then like even after like she dies, you know, they have to decapitate her and like Van Helsing makes them help. So like one of them's holding the stake, one of them's hitting the stake, and then the other has to decapitate <laughs> the love of their lives. But yeah, that scene's like really effective because you have these three men that like love this woman and they're responsible for killing the or putting her out of her misery however you want to look at it but it's pretty brutal and fucked up and then they go on like a cross-country like tour with jonathan harker to like find the uh plots of dirt and then and then go fight a bunch of gypsies and then like one of them dies the rocketeer gets stabbed in the back and just dies (laughs) and they're just like oh okay yeah it's weird it's um it feels like very it feels like fantasy right because that's i'm no historian but i don't think that men who are in love with the same women become best friends you know what i mean but it's like no. i don't know it's kind of like it becomes like a it's like fantasy like it's kind of kind of fun I mean, um, like, kind like, of like romantic with air quotes um but also it's it's a little weird because it feels like they treat her like um like it's uh like it's good sportsmanship almost like, all right, yeah. well, you won, but we're all still good guys, you know? But then, yeah. like, lo- winning her love is like a sport, and that becomes kind of weird and misogynistic. But the, I, I did like at the end of the movie when they're like, okay, this crew is going over to the castle to, you know, f- try to take out Dracula, and these people are going to go and get the final, you know, urn or whatever with the dirt. And then they all converge on the castle, and then they kind of have this, like, fight scene, and they're all like, it's four dudes uh, who are all classy gentlemen, like, you know, one of them's an American. I would imagine he would be able to fight. That's that's Billy Campbell's character. Um, but they all kind of like give what would be a killing blow to a normal human to Dracula. And then Dracula's like, well, I'm pretty much dead. And then Winona Ryder's like, hey, guys, I'll finish it off. And and Keanu's like, hey, guys, our part's done. <laughs> yeah, the ending of the, the like the last five minutes of this movie were a little... Um not not the best for me yeah well that was another just to bang my i do i do really like dracula bursting out of the box of dirt that's a very effective moment very effective and then stabbing the guy in the back um really good um keanu's hair yeah like i i like that i understand why it went gray makes sense they like sprayed it on yeah what i didn't like and this is another one of these examples of like continuity not being great is it, it, I noticed it going, it was a very subtle gray initially. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then when he sees, when they walk in on her getting bitten by by Dracula, then it's like completely white and yeah. it's like high school play, like, like they quality white hair. I think they should have just put him in a white wig when he returned but then, from Transylvania. But the next scene, it's dark. It's not, it's not back to where it was, but like the next scene, it's dark again. Hmm darker with some gray and then it's back to being all gray like his hair color is swinging back and forth throughout those the ending of the movie and that's just like it's little things like that that keep me like from thinking that this even this could have been a masterpiece and this movie is very well done very well acted we've already talked about how great the special effects are um how most of them still stand up 30 years later and it's just like little things like this it's just like it's such a simple thing just just like buy three wigs of the colors that you need and just make sure he's wearing the same wig after the certain points in time. And I know they don't film movies chronologically, but I feel like it's such a simple thing to be able to make sure you're, he's wearing the right colored wig or the right colored gray. Yeah. I mean, I think story-wise it would even just make more sense for him to go white while he's in yeah. Transylvania and then he's just white 
white haired for the rest of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we didn't talk about the soundtrack. You the know, soundtrack. honestly, the soundtrack. I is didn't so notice good. it. I but love it. I think that's a. I think honestly, that is a a symbol of a good score because a good score should elevate the movie, but it shouldn't take away from it to an yeah. extent. Yeah. Um, cause sometimes like the Joker, um, the Joaquin Phoenix one, um, there are times where I'm like, this movie isn't very good. There's this shit doesn't make sense, but why is this scene so effective? And then I immediately get pulled out of them because the score is so fucking good. Um, so there are times where I think it's a good thing to not necessarily notice the score. I think, a really good composer is able to elevate the scene without necessarily drawing attention. And like, um, I almost said Baz Luhrmann, um, Hans Zimmer, um, I think is a fantastic composer and he's done so many amazing movies, but there are times where like his stuff takes me out because it's so dynamic and yes, it technically works with the scene, but it's always just like, and then you're just like, Oh shit, something's about to go down and it kind of takes you out. So I think having a subtle score makes works for me. I didn't notice it, but I think that's probably because it was good. Yeah, I, I wouldn't describe this one as being subtle, but um, I take your point, and I really like this score. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I didn't even I'm, notice. I'm glad you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Apparently, yeah. Uh, I love all the shots of Dracula in the box of dirt. By the way, yeah, very. There's good. like a. I think they do it like three times. There's a very specific uh, or like a repeated shot where he's just like in dirt and he's like thinking or he's like dripping blood from his mouth or something. Yeah. Um, I think they're funny, but I also just love them. I feel so bad. Once again, feel so bad for the amount of prosthetics he had to be in. And it was like in any given scene, like, cause like the way this worked is like, if he used one of his powers or whatever, he would kind of revert to being old again. And like, he could go out in the daylight, but he loses most of his powers, which I thought was another interesting thing. Cause that's the thing that's gone away from vampire movies. Right. Like most modern vampire movies can't go outside or right. to get it around in twilight. It immediately turns them to, to ash. They, they burst yeah, they flames. burn away or they have the diamond sparkly skin in the, right. the twilight movies, whatever. Well, this uh, movie, sorry, this movie like kicks off uh, uh, a resurgence of classic horror um, characters and stuff. You get Mary Shelley's Frankenstein yep. um, a couple of years later, uh, Wolf with Jack Nicholson sort of reimagines the Wolfman story. And then you also get uh, Interview with a Vampire in 95, I think. 94, and, 95, yeah. Yeah, just a few years later. And that movie is the one that was like um, really hammering home. Like if, if uh, vampires get touched by a, a single ray of light, they turn to ash and it's gruesome and it happens immediately and there's no way to, uh, to undo it or whatever. And it's in like stark contrast to this movie. I think that's really interesting. Yeah, and that I, I do think that's incredibly interesting. Uh, but like, what I thought was fascinating was like every time he kind of used his powers. Like, I just watched Stardust. You know, I met, brought up the last episode, and like every time Michelle Pfeiffer uses her magic, she gets a little older. Um, and it was kind of like that. Like, if he used you know one of his spells, or if he had to exert himself, he immediately ages quite a bit. Yeah. And I was just like, there are scenes where he's like young handsome gary oldman and then like he does something and like i eh, slightly grotesque and then all of a sudden he's the bat and so it's like obviously they're not filming all those things back to back to back but it's like fascinating in like one scene where he may have three or four transformations in like two to three minutes of movie time yeah. like i i don't even like logistically i can't even imagine how crazy it was to film this movie and go okay we're gonna film all the grotesque ones oh we're gonna film the bat scenes we're gonna film the wolf scenes you know in this in this week like i, I just feel like this movie was a logistical nightmare <laughs> yeah probably but i mean i don't really have much more to say about it like we kind of got our nitpicks out 
at the beginning and you know they were very fairly mild um you know at the end of the movie like i said she winona's the one who gets to kill him and then both movies when dracula dies the they go back to being human which yeah. is interesting um and that's that's not a, a thing that people I didn't, don't care about yeah I, I i didn't love the uh the end of this movie i don't like um dracula like finding god kind of um, I think that's a that's yeah. a me thing, but it just doesn't didn't really work for me. Was it him finding God, or was it him forgiving himself? I, I mean, the know. statue healed, which was a little weird. Yeah, I think um, that's what I'm I'm getting at. Like, or he makes peace with God, or something. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to. Think. Oh, this one was actually really interesting. Um, I thought visually it was really interesting when they kill Lucy. They decapitate her, and you see the blood, and you see like the stub mm-hmm. of her neck, and then it immediately hard cuts to a really bloody, like prime rib pot roast. And... Oh, one of my favorite cuts in the movie. Yeah, so good. It's just yeah, really gross. And then like, I also like that Van Helsing kind of like Har- Harker is being kind of a, a sarcastic son of a bitch, and then uh, Van Helsing's like, "Yeah, you totally fucked three vampire women over and over again." Like. What about your infidelity? And like yeah. Harker's like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Anthony Hopkins is so good in this. He killed it in this one. Yeah. I, I wish he had more time with um, oh. Gary Oldman. About that scene, by the way, he says, uh, during that, your infidelity, did you ever uh, taste any of the vampire blood or anything? And I was like, I think Van Helsing absolutely got Lucy blood in his mouth at some point. Like he stabs oh. her in the heart. And she vomits blood into his face. Yeah, there's like, no you way. You definitely tasted it, man. You got yeah. infected. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's a minor nitpick. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm um, just going through. I like when uh, Dracula changes from the bat to a bunch of rats. Like, he goes into the yeah. dark and changes into rats. And his eyes are, like, red and piercing the whole time. That was really effective. Yeah. No, that was that was a pretty cool scene. Like, all in all. Like... Oh, sorry. I, I love in this movie that there are two scenes where we see vampires eating or attempting to eat toddlers or babies yeah (laughs) fucking awesome yeah oh i mean that i mean that's that's what happens because like he gets pissed that they're um eating keanu at the beginning of the movie and they're like he's like no this is like my my english tutor like he's teaching me about english society they're like what are we gonna eat he just tosses up a baby yeah so cool and then keanu's like whoa gross man whoa um, um, when they're drinking the absinthe, uh, there's a lot of like very uh, artsy camera shots, like of um, the label through the liquid. And at one point, it says, you know, absinthe, and then it just says sin is absinthe. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's like clever. That. Nice little. You know what's another thing pun? I liked about this was also like the whole movie. Like Dracula is trying to get to Mina. He wants to make her a vampire so they can live together forever. And then when the time comes to do it. Like she sees him and he's like, no, no, don't look at me kind of thing. And then she's like, no, nah, it's all cool. I remember everything. Um, and so he, he starts to go for it. And he like bites her and then he's like, no, like he kind of changes his mind. Yeah. That Even though like, she's already drunk the blood, but yeah. Yeah. So it's a little interesting. I, I, I think it's interesting that you see him kind of regret it and realize like, yeah, my life kind of sucks as a vampire yeah. and now I'm selfishly making her do it. So I think that was a, I think that makes that turn at the end where he finds God kind of realizing like oh maybe i'm not a good dude like i was totally wronged at the beginning of the movie yeah but 
what I'm trying to do is pretty fucked up and morally like, repugnant. Yeah, like narratively, I understand it and I'm not opposed to it. But the way that it comes off in the movie to me feels very like um, it feels like Francis Ford Coppola is trying to say, turn to God. And I don't know if that was his yeah. intention, but it feels a little preachy to me. It's like and two I, movies back to back that we covered. War of the Worlds was very, very right. much like that. Like God in his infinite wisdom created disease. Right, right. That kind of this. stuff is a little abhorrent to me. Anathema. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, oh, Winona has that great line in the moment that you're talking about where Dracula sort of changes his mind when he's changing her. She says, uh, take me away from all this death. It's a good line. It's a good line. Yeah. She delivered it. Yeah. She, at least she got one good delivery in the movie. Ba-boom! No, she's wonderful. She was totally fine in this movie. Like, I, I don't think she's necessarily the best actress, but she, it's, it's she rough can when, rise to the occasion. Yeah. It's rough when it's her and Keanu playing against Gary Oldman and Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. But a lot of the times, like, have a lot of actors will say working with really good actors elevates you. And I, I, I think there's something to that. But that being said, um, God, what was it called? Um, destination wedding which is 99 percent just keanu and winona and they're both just being snarky assholes it's actually a really fun movie okay noted yeah you, it, you should watch it's actually really fun um but yeah i don't have much to say i definitely think i mean we I, talked about it earlier that this is something that kind of gets a reimagining every 15 to 20 years we're probably due for another big screen dracula at some point um, and we just had that Dracula untold. Oh, we didn't even talk about was, Dark Universe. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that. I don't know how much there is to say there, but you know, clearly they did not do a great job with that proposed franchise. But while I was watching um, the 1931 Dracula, I was thinking to myself, like, why don't they just give one of these movies? They, I think they tried to do this with Blumhouse, but like, give one of these movies to like Robert Eggers or Ari Aster, or some somebody like that, and just let yeah. them do fucking gothic fucked up uh dracula and that's actually what kind of what the francis ford coppola version ended up being but i think you could do one now that is even more in line with something like um midsommar or uh the lighthouse or something yeah like make an art house dracula movie that's what i want yeah i think we could go like obviously you you know you just brought up they're trying to do the dark universe i don't think that's gonna really go anywhere anymore no it's done (laughs) um that's but I think anymore. it could be interesting to go back and do like the universal monster things that take place in the past. Like do another real, like we, they had I Frankenstein with Aaron Eckhart like 10, 15 years ago. Um, yeah. We don't need that, but I think it could be interesting to go and do another modern movie and do like, let's do an old Mary Shelley's Frankenstein again. Let's do, you know, Dracula again. Um, Cause I do think when, when people talk to me about remakes and stuff, cause people know I do this podcast. They're like, why do we need these? And I'm like, we were all kids and most of us didn't like we talked about at the beginning. Most of us didn't like black and white movies when we were kids. Most people don't go back and watch movies more than 15, 20 years before they were born. Yeah. Most people don't, you know, you and me were film people. So we do enjoy going back and watching these old movies, but most people don't. And I think that's why I don't think it's inappropriate for like even Disney, like everyone cries about the Disney remakes, you know, we, why did we need a live action beauty and the beast? The original one was fantastic. Absolutely. is a fantastic movie. But why can't each generation have their own version? You and bond with the movies that you see when you're a kid. You know Exactly. People that are you and I, um, that are our age, like Michael Keaton's Batman is a very special thing. 
and yep. Christian Bale was just good enough that it it kept us with it. But like for people that are slightly older, Star Wars is a perfect example. Like people that are born um, in the nineties. Uh, those prequels are their Star Wars. They don't see anything yeah, they like them. wrong with them. Yeah, and you know maybe they like they see their uh, they see flaws in them, but they grew up with those movies and they have childhood memories attached to them. And those are their movies. Um, so you know with these like properties that uh, these characters that are so timeless like Dracula and uh, whatever else, I think it totally makes sense to remake these movies every fifteen years. Like let somebody else take a crack at it. Uh, and let kids grow up with their own um, their own version of them. They're like yeah. they're timeless characters, and they can be reinterpreted a bunch of different ways. Well, and also like you know, you're you as a filmmaker. I'm just a fan, but like there's things that you grow up as a fan and as a filmmaker, you might want to take your shot at it. Yeah. And which sorry, just to yeah. circle this back to the uh, Godfather thing. I don't think that Godfather needs to be, I think Godfather's a, a product of its time. And if you remade it, it would probably still have to take place in the seventies. And then you'd just be like remaking the exact same thing. There's not, yeah. I don't think there's a lot of interpretation there, but that's, I, that's fair. Yeah. And that's why I think like, you know, something like Dracula makes more sense to, uh, to remake. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's all I've got to say about this one. Uh, let's, let's bring it home. Tell us where our listeners can find you. Give us your plugs. Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Dyslexic, D-Y-S, Alex, I-C. I'm on Twitter at Palishi. I'm on TikTok at Palishi as well. And you can find all sorts of film and TV and uh, elder emo type of shirts and merchandise at my Etsy store, uh, Burn the Scene Boutique. You can search that on Etsy. Although we are on um, a little strike this week. Well, I guess it's going up on Friday, so the strike will be over. But Etsy's not taking care of its uh, creators, so... We're, uh, we're on vacation mode for the week. Yeah, and I'm I'm all for that. I was gonna buy. There's these like face masks that I really like. They're super comfy. And I was about to order them, and then I heard about it, and I was like, I'm just gonna wait a week. Yeah, because I, I lost one at Disneyland the other day, and I was like, damn it, I really like these masks. But we appreciate the wait. support. Yeah, yeah, I'm for it. Fuck big business. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you guys can find everything that's MDX Pods related at mdxpods.com, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at MDX Pods. You can check out our other show on the network, Ruin My Childhood. That's me and my wife, Katrina. Uh, we've been back for about three episodes now. Those come out every other Friday, the opposite Fridays of Remake Rewind. So we would love if you check that out. But uh, thanks for listening. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash mdxpods. We're not striking there. So, uh, Give us your money and support the show. But uh, in all seriousness, we do appreciate that. We're also on YouTube. So if you want to listen there, uh, like and subscribe. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks. Thank you for listening. I didn't even bust out my Dracula accent this whole time. You idiot.